Hey everybody, thanks for checking out the Glendale Road Church of Christ podcast. You're welcome to join us anytime you're around. We are at 1101 Glendale Road in Murray, Kentucky. We meet for worship every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., followed by our Bible study at 10 a.m., and we come back every Sunday evening for a bonus worship hour at 6 p.m. Also, every midweek on Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have a Bible study. You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. The scripture reading today is taken from Acts chapter 9, verses 26 and 27. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. You may be seated. God is good all the time. I know sometimes with uh, weeks like what we've had this last week, it, it, it may seem, you know, a little questionable. Uh, how is it that if God is almighty and God is good, that there's so much evil that occurs in the world? Maybe you've asked that question yourself. Maybe you've wondered, is there an answer to it? Some folks uh, don't want to think through it. They just say, well, you just have to have faith and trust in what's happening. Trust in God and all such. Uh, I've, I've spoken with people that are both atheists, agnostic, uh, and believers who have had this question. And so usually with those who are agnostic or atheist, the way that I'll answer that is by asking them a question. What is your basis for calling something good or evil? Obviously, you have a sense of morality, but where does that morality come from? Because if, as some suggest, we are just primates and we just come from a, a, a lineage of primates, why is it that we don't behave as such? You go into the animal kingdom and compassion can be shown in the animal kingdom, but more often than not, you have survival of the fittest. And you know, when they take life, they don't always take the healthiest, but they Take the sick, the weak, the young, the, the, the defenseless. And so you look at that and you go, okay, why don't we do that? Well, that would be bad. What are, what are you basing it on to call it good or bad? See, for me as a Christian, God is the authority on what is good and bad. He is the moral authority. So I can look to God and say, well, what this is doing what is happening over here, this is just plumb evil. Because God says it's evil. Because every human has been made in His image. And when you go and you mistreat people, when you attempt to genocide people, when you, when you uh, uh, exploit the weak and those who can't, can't fare for themselves, that's just evil. So with my atheist or agnostic friends, I'll ask, what do you base your morality on? Because if you believe in nothing, then morality is, is subjective. You can decide what's moral as you go. And so there, there would be nothing that would be without of the realm. I think, you know, decades ago, the Germans probably thought they were doing the right thing. And even those that were part of the German army thought that they were doing the right thing. But just because you think you're doing the right thing doesn't mean it's the right thing. This nation 
many, many years ago had slavery. And that was the norm. That was thought to be the right thing until people who had faith in Jesus came along and said, this isn't the right thing. So oftentimes hindsight is 2020. But why is it that if God is almighty and God is all powerful, that he permits these things to occur? Why doesn't he stop these things? So look first in your Bibles to Genesis 3. And I know I had a sermon planned, but I think with what's occurred this week, it might be timely to address this, this topic. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. And in Genesis chapter 3, we see the temptation and the fall of man. There is an Oxford mathematician by the name of John Lennox. John Lennox often debates atheists uh, on this point. And at one point during a Q&A in one of his debates, a fellow got up and he said, you know, <clears throat> your God commanded in the beginning that you not take the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. What do you think, how do you feel about a God that wants to hold you back? And John Lennox replied, he said, what's interesting and ironic about that question is that the first person who asked it was a snake. Some of y'all, your coffee hasn't kicked in. A few of you were with me on that one. That's okay. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you'll not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good from evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and that the tree is desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband who was with her, and he ate. <clears throat> then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So picture this. The first thing that you have to observe is that when God created humanity, he gave them the ability to choose free will. Now, what if as we want to have the perfect world without all the violence, without all the sin, if we want that from God, every one of us would have to be his puppets playing his game. And then you would say, what kind of a God makes you love him? What kind of a God uh, uh, controls you to this extent. So if you're, if you're set on just not believing and being upset about the whole thing, you're going to find a problem no matter how you look at this. But God gave them free will. Here you are in the perfect environment. You have the perfect father, the perfect parent. And he says, here's all that you can do. There's only one thing I don't want you to do. And that's the eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so then you have the serpent come along. Has God said that you'll die? You're, you'll surely not die. But you'll be like God. <laughs> All right. I want to be a God. And that's essentially what we all want when we go against his will. We want to be God. 
Imagine the prospect. The day you eat of that fruit, you will be like God. I want it. It looks good. Let's have a bite. Now, Adam, uh, admittedly, he did what every husband has done since the beginning of time. At least the smart ones. When your wife hands you something to eat, you eat it and you don't say anything. Maybe he should have said something. He was there as this was going on. Uh, so he eats of it, and, and now for the first time they realize that they are naked. I don't know if you've ever been to somebody's house who has small children. Uh, or maybe you can relate, and you can go, I, my children. You're there and you have company over, and for whatever reason, your child decides to completely disrobe and proceed to run through the house without a care in the world. There are probably some adults who do that, but in the privacy of your own home, that's your business. But they run through and mom goes, oh my goodness, and tries to get the kid. Dad's usually over there laughing, going, this is funny. And then mom finally, we're so sorry. And she goes and she dresses the kid back up. Now that kid had such an innocence and a purity that there wasn't any thought about, oh, I have no clothes on and I'm running around. And I kind of think that was the innocent state that Adam and Eve lived in. But once they got the knowledge of good and evil, now they see, now they know. I believe that's why in Matthew 18, when the disciples, the apostles were arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Jesus brought a child before them and set that child in their midst and said, unless you convert and become like this child, you will in no way see the kingdom of heaven. A lot of time as adults, we look at other adults and we go, oh, they're so naive. Oh, they're so, uh, you know, innocent-minded. And we, we say it as a form of derision, but that's actually how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be like children. And children have this purity and this innocence. And what do we as parents and grandparents do? We aim to preserve it and to protect it as long as possible because we know one day their eyes will also be opened to the reality of the world. But Jesus says, if you want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, you must become like this child. And when you think of children, their innocence, their purity, that's something for us to aim for, but also their trust. Think about when a child is scared. What did your children do when they were scared? They came running to mom and dad because mom and dad is a safe place. Mom and dad will protect. Mom and dad will provide. When they're sick, where do they go? In our house, they went to mom more often than not because mom was nurturing. So with the purity and the innocence is also a sense of trust and dependence. But we don't like to be dependent. We like to be independent. And that's because we've ate the fruit. We've eaten the fruit. Okay, let's keep reading this. Verse uh, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he's, so listen, you know, people look at that, they go, did God not know where they were? Well, let me ask you, as a parent, how many times have you asked your children a question to which you already know the answer? 
It's a tactic that we have as parents. And we still do it. Did you clean your room? And we know the answer. The reason we ask the question isn't because we don't know. We just want to see where it's going to go from here. Are you going to be honest? Are you going to lie? Because every which way you go, there's going to be something to follow. Where are you? He asked. Verse 11, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you shouldn't eat? Then the man said, notice this, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. There's another problem. We have, we have free will to make our own choices. And we make those choices and choices have consequences. And then guess what? Sometimes we like to blame somebody else for what we've done. Boy, we're an interesting lot, aren't we? The Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, now here's the key, because we're going to go to the New Testament here in a second. Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. So mothers, you can thank Eve. Next time you're giving birth, don't fuss at your husband. He didn't cause this. Eve is at fault. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. If God is almighty and God is all good, why do we see so much evil? He gives us all a choice. We all have the free will to choose to do what God would have us to do or what we want to do. And what we want to do is be God. Every single one of us are self. We are each selfish and if you look at the root of all sin, selfishness. That's the root of sin. I'm selfish, you're selfish, but some of us are selfless enough that we can contain our selfishness. What you're seeing over in Israel and Palestine is unbridled selfishness. And what's bad is that these people, they lay it on God and said, we are doing the work of God. I don't know what God this is, but I don't want him. I don't like him. And when you look at all the things that are occurring, it's not God's fault. It's evil people doing this. Why doesn't God stop it? He gave us the choice. And we still make choices every day. Some of them may be, what am I going to wear today? And some of them may be, 
boy, if I make this decision, it could have ripple effects of consequences for the whole family. So sometimes we have small, unthinkable choices. Sometimes we have major choices. And so here's the reality. There are evil people in the world, and there are good people in the world. And if you ask the question, well, how is God good? Friends, if God is not good, what do we have? I shudder to think of a world where God doesn't exist. Think about that kind of a society. Look in your Bible to Romans 8, please. Now, the result of this choice of having this free will, Paul explains in Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 18. If you're not sure where Romans is, just look over to your neighbor and ask them. I'm sure they'll be glad to help you. There's no, no, uh, no need to be ashamed. Uh, we'd much rather you learn to navigate your scriptures and, and find these, these wonderful, wonderful words of the Lord. Romans chapter 8, beginning verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So Paul has embraced his present suffering. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't ask why his almighty good God doesn't do something about it. He has accepted it knowing that something far greater lies ahead. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subject, subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So Paul tells us, because of sin, creation has been subjected to futility. So maybe the, the, the thorns and the thistles, the earthquakes and the storms and the floods and all these things are the result of a decision that humanity made many, many, many centuries ago. And that decision was, I want to be God. I want to eat that fruit. That's why bad things exist. But if bad didn't exist... How would we know what is good? If darkness didn't exist, how would we know what is light? If cold didn't exist, how would we know what is heat? We understand sometimes through the bad things what the good redeeming things truly are. And I think God would press upon us something even greater. When we ask these questions, God would point to His Son. And I think he would say to every one of us, yes, there's evil in the world. Yes, there are injustices on the earth. But guess what? God would say, I'm willing to take on the evil of the world. I'm willing to take on the injustices of the world. And I'm willing to take on the barbarous nature of humanity. And I'll take it on and I'll identify with you. 
The author of the Hebrew letter says, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. You see, when Jesus lived in his body here on earth, he felt everything that we've ever felt. He saw the evil that people have in their hearts, and he even allowed that evil through the Jews and the Romans to be taken out on him for a much greater purpose. And that greater purpose is that you and I may be saved, that we may have eternal life. Before you blame God, remember God understands. Because it was He who saw His Son scourged after He had been unjustfully tried, after there were false witnesses bearing false testimony against His Son. He saw His Son stripped, beaten, bloodied within inches of His life. And then He saw His Son hoisted on a cross, suffering capital punishment, a miscarriage of justice if ever there was one. So before you get mad at God, remember God can rightly say to you, I know how you feel. Because His Son endured all of those things that we see that breaks our hearts, that churns our stomachs. But He did it and God used that evil, that pain, that suffering to bring about salvation that we may have eternal life in Him. I look around and I see these things as you see them as well. It's disgusting, it's deplorable, but thank God that isn't where the period ends. We who have the hope, and I know some people, they go, oh, heaven, God, this big pie-in-the-sky idea, this, that, and the other. <clears throat> well, you have to ask, what do you think happens when a person dies? You know, if, if it's the naturalist view, well, when you die, you just simply cease existing. You go into the ground and that's it. Well, okay. Then how did you live? I mean, if you had a great life, a charmed life, maybe you don't care. But what if you had a life full of disease or poverty? What if you lived a hopeless life? The hope that's given to you through Jesus is the hope of eternal life, of a life where there's a world with no thorns and thistles, where there are no earthquakes, natural disasters, where there are no terrorist groups, no hospice houses, hospitals, or the need for a police department or a fire department. Sounds like a good place, doesn't it? If you believe that Jesus is God's Son, and these things that He told us about that place, and that the apostles who were given His Holy Spirit told us about that place, it has to be true. Now, if you want to gamble and not go along with that, then that's your choice. But what really would it hurt? I'll tell you this. When I look at the life of Jesus versus the life of those who claimed that Muhammad was God's last prophet. Jesus never married. Muhammad had many wives, some of them prepubescent. Jesus never waged a war. Muhammad raged many. Jesus taught us to love our neighbor. Muhammad says, depending on who your neighbor is, it's well and fine to kill them. 
If you look at the lives of these two men, a thousand lifetimes over, I will follow Jesus every lifetime that I have. And that's not to disparage Muslims. Uh, I don't agree with, and, and they hold Jesus in high regard. They just don't see him as God's son. But when your religion calls you to violence, you really need to take a look at it. Because the kingdom of God is unlike the kingdom of men here. The kingdom of God is such that you love your enemy. You bless those who persecute you. That if you are mourning, you are in a blessed state because you should be comforted. If you are meek, you shall inherit the earth. Everything in the kingdom of God, you look at how things are done here on earth, and you can essentially turn it on its head. Instead of Jesus Christ sitting on a throne with his diadem and his glorious robes reigning here on earth, commanding armies and hosts of heaven, he says, my kingdom isn't like that. You see, kings send your sons and daughters to war. But the king of heaven offers himself before he would ever offer us. And all he wants is to save every one of us. God is good. And yes, there's a lot of evil. There's a lot of bad things that we see. But God is still good. And he's still good because of the hope that we have in eternal life. The hope that we can live in a place absent all these things and be with our Father who has made us and who has loved us and who sent his Son to die for us. Would you pray with me, please? Righteous Father in heaven, we thank you for being our God and we thank you for your Son Jesus who died on the cross for us. Father, we're mindful of the many innocent Palestinian and Israeli civilians. And Father, those that have suffered immense trauma, we pray your blessings, your peace, and your mercy upon them. We pray, Father, for a swift end, not only to this conflict, but also to the one in Russia and Ukraine. I pray, Father, that leaders of the world will be advocates of diplomacy leading to peace. But Father, if there are groups who are intent on doing harm and evil, my prayer is that they will be dealt with swiftly and justly. And if not meeting justice in this life, then certainly meeting it when they stand in judgment before you. We, Father, are people who have sinned, but we thank you that we have been purchased by the blood of Christ and that by obeying his gospel, Lord, that sin has been washed away. Thank you for making us righteous, for we could not do it of ourselves. Thank you for making us holy, for we could not do that of ourselves either. So, Heavenly Father, as we may be challenged, as we may be having doubts or uncertainties, in the moments that our faith may be shaken, help us always to turn to you and to turn to our brothers and sisters who may be able to aid us in those times of need. Bless your people. Bless your church. And, Father, we long for the time that we join you in the heavens or that you come to take us back. For those who have not obeyed the gospel, we pray that you impress upon their hearts the importance. Bless those who are in their lives that can encourage them to that end. For the spiritually sick, Father, we pray your blessings, that something would occur in their life that would help them to turn to you. Be with them. Be with us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.
we'll have an invitation where we stand and sing. And if you're here weekly, you know this is what we do. And it's an opportunity that if you're not a Christian and you want to confess your faith in Jesus and be buried with him in baptism, to have your sins washed away and become a member of the family of God, you can certainly do that. But if you're a Christian and you have been estranged from your Lord, or maybe you put distance between yourself and him, and you go, I need to, I, I need to renew my commitment to God. We're willing to pray with you and for you. This here is a judgment-free zone. We'll have an elder over here and an elder over there, and I'll be here. But if we can assist you in these spiritual needs, you're welcome to come as we stand and sing. <laughs>